0: good morning everybody so glad to see you all here today Uh, like Dylan highlighted uh, in the bulletin make sure you read all that today because it's got some important stuff in there also we're we are excited uh, to announce that we have three new elder candidates Um, and uh, and so you can read about that in your bulletin and um, they're going to be we're gonna offer kind of a get to know you time on the 21st and the 28th of January. So, praise God that uh, he's risen some leaders up who feel called to, to join the elder team, amen? Amen? Okay, that's good. <laughs> All right, you guys, the past uh, few months, if you haven't been here, let me catch you up a little bit. We've been reading through uh, the book of Acts to see what happened after Jesus rose from the dead and ascended to heaven. And right before he returned to heaven, Jesus told his followers to wait in Jerusalem until he sent God the Holy Spirit to them. And he said that the Holy Spirit would come to them and and would fill them and give them supernatural power to share the message, the gospel of Jesus with the world, starting in Jerusalem and then going to all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so Jesus' followers obeyed him. And they went to Jerusalem and they persistently prayed together inside of a house there and And after about 10 days of doing that, the Pentecost festival started in Jerusalem, which was a time when thousands and thousands of Jews made pilgrimages there to Jerusalem from all over the world. And while that was going on, the the Christians inside of that house in Jerusalem heard the sound, it says, of a mighty rushing wind coming from heaven. And then they saw tongues of fire above each of the heads of the people in the house. And so the Holy Spirit had come from heaven, He'd entered those Christians, and they began to pour out of that house into the streets of Jerusalem. And the Christians started to miraculously preach God's message, his gospel, in all of the native languages of those Jewish travelers. And the Jews were baffled by this. They, there were thousands of Jews, keep in mind. They're looking at each other, trying to figure out what is going on. And, and then they asked the Christians, what is the meaning of this? And the apostle Paul, uh, Peter, excuse me, stood among them and he began to explain everything to them. And he used their own writings, their own sacred writings, which we call the Old Testament of the Bible. Uh, He pointed to the scriptures to show that the coming of the Holy Spirit to the Christians fulfilled prophecy and it signified that the last days on earth had begun. And Peter told them that this Jesus of Nazareth whom the Jews and the Romans had just crucified was both God, the God of the Jews, and he was the Savior of the Jews and of the whole world. And and while Peter was sharing this, while he was talking, God the Holy Spirit was was working so powerfully through his words and in the heart also uh, of the people there uh, that they were impacted Immediately, they didn't even wait for him to call for a response. They just cried out and they said, what should we do? How should we respond to this gospel message? And Peter told them what Jesus told them, repent and be baptized. Both of Jesus's commands to repent and be baptized <clears throat> are missing from much gospel preaching and evangelism today. If you think about it, But but the, the reality is that God repeatedly commands these two things in Scripture. And so this morning, we wanna search the Scriptures and see why God commands us to repent and be baptized. So if you got your Bible with you, please turn to Acts 2, chapter 22. That's in the New Testament. If you don't have the Bible with you, then we'll put it on the screen today. Acts 2, 22. as you're turning to that, let me pray for us. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we we thank you for waking us up this morning and giving us the energy and desire and ability to come here today. Thank you for the word that you've given to us in our language, your word, and we ask you to speak to our hearts and our minds with power today through it. Help us, God, to rejoice in you, to be glad in you, to be glad in your salvation today. Give us power to turn from sin and to turn to you again today Lord we ask that you would use your good news to to make lost people born again today with faith in you plant this message in our hearts God so that so that we might take the gospel and this these truths from your word with us where we live and where we work and share it with the lost people we know Please work in power on our church campus today and protect us physically and spiritually from evil. And we pray all of this in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. All right, let me start by reading part, uh, set the context here. We'll, we'll start at uh, verse 22, and then we're gonna focus in it on 37 to 41. So let's hear what Peter's sermon was. Men of Israel, hear these words. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brothers, what shall we do? Stop there. So the gospel message of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection for sinners is a message that we communicate with words, okay? The gospel must be spoken with words or written with words or used in sign language to communicate words in order to be heard. That's why verse 37 here says that the Jews heard this message because Peter preached it with words. And so as we seek to share the gospel with others, our motto cannot be preach the gospel at all times and when necessary, use words. Yes, love people with the love of Christ. If that's what that phrase means, to love people with the love of Christ. Of course, love people with the love of Christ. Lay down your life for others as as Christ laid down his life for you. But doing nice things for people is not the same thing as telling them the gospel. Non-Christians cannot read our minds. If we don't ever tell them with words the good news of Jesus, then we cannot say we've shared the gospel with them. The Apostle Paul wrote in Romans 10, 17, So faith comes from hearing, and hearing through the word of Christ. So the Bible is a collection of words. The the gospel message is a message of words about God's salvation in Jesus. And the Holy Spirit uses our gospel words to affect people. And here in verse 37, we see the effect on the crowd that the Holy Spirit produces through Peter's gospel preaching. Um, verse 37 says, When they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Okay? So these Jews were cut to the heart by the gospel message, which tells us that the Holy Spirit was at work. Ephesians 6:17 calls God's word the sword of the Holy Spirit. And so as Peter was preaching to that crowd, the Holy Spirit was using the sword of the Spirit, the word, to pierce into the hard hearts and souls of people in that crowd. This this phrase, cut to the heart, can also be translated as stabbed in the heart, okay? That's how they felt. That's how thousands of people in the crowd were feeling at the same time. They felt stabbed in the heart. When they heard that Jesus is Lord and Savior, and they had just bullied Him and murdered Him. And they felt terrible. They felt like they'd been stabbed when they heard this. And they felt terrible because they were, for the first time, believing that Jesus truly was God. They were, for the first time, believing that Jesus truly was the Messiah and that their people had just killed Him with the help of the Romans. And it says that thousands of Jews in that crowd immediately felt terribly convicted of their sin, and they knew they were guilty, and they were were guilty of rebellion against God. And even though that conviction was extremely painful, felt like being stabbed in the heart, it was evidence that God's Holy Spirit was graciously working in their hearts. The night before Jesus went to the cross, he, he told his disciples that when the Holy Spirit would come, he would convict people of their sin against God. Remember in John sixteen eight to 11, Jesus said, and when he, the Holy Spirit comes, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. Concerning sin, because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness, because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer concerning judgment because the ruler of this world is judged. So the Holy Spirit convicts the non-believing world of its sin for not believing Jesus. And the Holy Spirit convicts the non-believing world of its unrighteousness because it has rejected the only righteous God-man Jesus who can make it righteous. And the Holy Spirit convicts the non-believing world about judgment because Satan and everyone who belongs to Satan and not to Jesus is under God's eternal judgment. And so when the Gospel is preached, and when the Holy Spirit wields the message of that Gospel like a sword, and when He pierces the hearts of sinners with it, God is doing a great and glorious and merciful thing. That is how God makes people born again. That's how God grants people repentance and faith in Jesus. If you've never felt sorrowful because of your sin against God, then pray to God and ask him to cause you to feel sorrow for your sin. Because feeling sorrow over your sin is a gift from God. It's a gift because godly sorrow leads to forgiveness and eternal life. In 2 Corinthians 7, 9 to 10, Paul writes, As it is, I rejoice, not because you were grieved, but because you were grieved into repenting. For you felt a godly grief, so that you suffered no loss through us. For godly grief produces a repentance that leads to salvation without regret, whereas worldly grief produces death. So that crowd of Jews heard Peter the gospel, the Holy Spirit wielded that gospel message like a sword, and he pierced many of their hearts with it, and many of them were so grieved that all they could do, it says they looked to Peter and the other apostles, and they, and they just asked, what should we do? What should we do? Let's go to the next verse, Acts 2:38. And Peter said to them, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. AND YOU WILL RECEIVE THE GIFT OF THE HOLY SPIRIT. SO HOW SHOULD ALL OF US IN THIS ROOM AND EVERY HUMAN BEING ON EARTH RESPOND TO THE PROCLAMATION OF THE GOSPEL? REPENT AND BE BAPTIZED. HERE PETER SAYS, REPENT AND BE BAPTIZED, EVERY ONE OF YOU, IN THE NAME OF JESUS CHRIST. JOHN THE BAPTIST PREACHED, REPENT AND BE BAPTIZED. THE APOSTLE PAUL TOLD NON-CHRISTIANS, GOD COMMANDS ALL PEOPLE EVERYWHERE TO REPENT Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he has appointed. And of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead, Jesus. And then Paul baptized those people who repented. Jesus said, unless you repent, you will perish. And then Jesus commanded the church to make disciples of those who have repented by baptizing them in God's name. So, because God commands the world to repent and to be baptized, then we need to be very clear. What do those two words mean? Let's start with the first one, repent. Repent is a word that is loaded with meaning. Uh, The writers of the New Testament actually use three different Greek words that we translate into English as repent. So, depending on the verse, it has a slightly different nuance. Here in Acts 2.38, repent means to change your mind and turn around change your mind and turn around, okay? And the idea here, he's telling them, you're going the wrong way. You are going the wrong way. You are walking the path of sin and destruction. Your mind, your heart, they're set on yourself. They're set on this temporary life. They're set on this world around you. And and as you are walking toward destruction and death and Satan, your back is to God, And you've turned your back on the Lord Jesus. And so he says, repent, turn around. Turn around 180 degrees. Turn to Jesus and walk that way. Trust him. Make him what you want most. Make Jesus the person that you're walking toward. Don't walk toward Satan anymore. Turn around and walk toward God. He says, change your mind and see that your sin is ruining your life. It's ruining the life of the people that you love and it's eventually gonna kill you and it's gonna take you to hell. He says, so change your mind about the direction of your life, about the orientation of your path and where your eternity is heading. Turn to Jesus and trust him because his path leads to healing and peace and eternal life. And this is what God is, is telling us to do in this word repent. And repentance is multi-dimensional. That's, that's kind of what I mean when I say it's a loaded word, because when we turn away from sin and turn to Jesus, at least four things happen. First, we see our sin for what it really is, that it is wrong, and that we are wrong for pursuing it, okay? Okay? Our life of sin is rebellious against God, it's destructive to ourselves, and we see that maybe for the very first time. And, and we acknowledge, we, we see it, we say, I have lived my life for a long time with my back turned to Jesus. And that dishonors him, and that's wrong. And seeing our sin as wrong means that we believe there is such a thing as sin, obviously, it means we believe, it, mean, it means a worldview change for many of us. It means that uh, we believe that right and wrong now actually exist. It means that we believe that uh, God is the one who decides what right is and what wrong is. So it means we no longer can play this silly game where we say, what's true, is for, is, what's true for you is true for you, what's true for me is true for me. So let's just try to coexist, okay? That's silly, Instead, we believe that what God says is true. That's the, that's the standard of truth, what God says, period. And, and when we love what God tells us not to love, and when we do what God tells us not to do, we sin against God and others. And so we get to that point where we say, yeah, that is sin, and it is wrong in God's eyes. That's the first component of repentance. Second, When we repent, we feel sorrow. We just talked about that. But the realization that we have loved sin and sinned and despised God makes us sad. It fills us with sorrow. It makes us sad, not only because we got caught, not only because it might hurt us, but because the Holy Spirit helps us see we have dishonored God. And true repentance is always accompanied by a Holy Spirit-produced sorrow For our sin, this is what we see happening here in this passage. When Peter, uh, he 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 shows the crowd its sin, and then it says, many in the crowd feel cut to the heart. They feel great sorrow for their sin. Third, to repent means uh, to uh, to confess your sin to God. Okay, so you see it, you feel sorrow for it, and then you confess it to God. You you tell God and others that you were wrong. You were wrong to live like you did, to do what you did. You were wrong to love your sin. You were wrong to pursue your sin and and to love it more than you love God. Confession of sin is a a humble acknowledgement that you are wrong and God is right. And confession of sin is, is, is when we admit to God we need him. I need forgiveness. I need the forgiveness of Jesus Christ. And as you've talked maybe to to non-believers, that's maybe one of the biggest hurdles to get to is simply getting people to see that they need forgiveness because a lot of people don't really believe they do. That's a work of the Spirit. We need the Spirit's help to get there. Gospel-centered confession of sin, after we confess it, resolves with trusting that God really has forgiven us and that we should worship Him for that. First John 1 John 1.9 says, If we confess our sins, He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. I was talking to somebody this week and they said, I don't feel forgiven for my sin. I said, well, did you confess it to God? You acknowledged it? You confessed it to God? You asked for forgiveness? Yes. You're forgiven in Christ. This is where faith is bigger than our emotions. Praise God, Right? our faith doesn't rest on how we're feeling or on our perfect lives it it rests on the objective reality of who Jesus is and what he's accomplished on the cross for us that's the good news of the gospel and fourth to repent means to turn around it means turn away from your sin turn toward Jesus it means you no longer desire to pursue sin anymore. Instead, you wanna pursue Jesus and obey him. So those four components of repentance are to see your sin, to feel sorrow for your sin, to confess your sin to God, and to turn away from your sin and to turn to Jesus. And for whatever reason, many of us don't include often that, that word repent when we're sharing the gospel with others. I don't know, maybe some of you do, but, but it's, it's not a word we use a whole lot in our, in our language. Uh, we tell people to trust in Jesus for salvation and that's good, that's right, we should do that. And at the same time, we can't forget to tell nonbelievers that turning to, uh, turning to Jesus and turning away from sin are two sides of the same coin. Turning to Jesus and turning away from sin are two sides of the same coin. Now, it's really important to be crystal clear here. We're not saying God saves people through faith plus their works, The Bible is very clear that people are saved because of God's grace alone through faith alone in Jesus. Repentance, or changing one's mind about Jesus, or turning away from sin and turning to Jesus are all different ways of saying trust in Jesus. To repent is different than to do works of repentance, which the New Testament talks about. Both are good things, but they're different things. To repent is to turn to Jesus and to trust in Jesus that moment when God first saves you. And also repentance is turning to and trusting in Jesus every step of our faith journey. All of life is repentance for the Christian. And the desire to repent and the power to repent is in us, if if it is in us, is only because the Holy Spirit has given us that desire. It's only because the Holy Spirit has given us supernatural power to do that. That's why the Bible talks about God granting people repentance. Because we can't turn away from our sin and turn toward Jesus unless what happens in this passage happens to us. Unless the Holy Spirit pierces our souls with his gospel and he turns us around. Okay? We need God to break in to our lives and do this for us. And we also, you know this as well as I do, you cannot change the hearts of other people. And so we beg the Holy Spirit to pierce their hearts with the good news of Jesus, to turn them around and turn them to Jesus. Now, if you're a longtime churchgoer, or if you consider yourself a longtime Christian, then I want you to take special note of something here in this passage. Here in Acts 2. Peter's gospel preaching is not to a bunch of outwardly rebellious people chasing after the lusts of this world, okay? Obviously, the gospel message is for those people too, but that's, it's not just for those people. Here, Peter is preaching this gospel to a crowd of people who are very moral and very respectable on the surface. This crowd was composed of the best people in the Jewish world the most devout followers of Judaism who had sacrificed much to make a pilgrimage to Jerusalem to worship Yahweh. But because they did not trust in Jesus, they had to repent. So whether they were trusting in their sacrifices or their offerings or their traditions or their prayers or their moral living to save them, it was absolutely necessary for them to see that those good religious works were idols if they were trusting those things instead of trusting in Jesus to give them eternal life. The good news, the gospel of Jesus is both for irreligious people, as Tim Keller says, and religious people. And Jesus commands both types of people to turn away from faith in anything other than Jesus. Does that make sense? After being cut to the heart by the gospel message, the crowd of Jews here asked Peter and the apostles, what should we do? How should we respond to this? And Peter said, repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ. So God commands baptism as one of the very first steps of discipleship for all followers of Jesus. And and the New Testament clearly and repeatedly shows us that baptism should immediately follow a person's repentance and faith in Jesus. Acts 8 says that Philip was, we'll get to it, well, someday. Acts 8 says that uh, Philip was preaching the gospel in Samaria. And after many of the Samaritans trusted in Jesus, Philip baptized them, both men and women, right there in the name of Jesus Christ. And then there was this guy named Simon the Magician. And he came and he heard Philip preach the gospel. and, And Simon turned away from his magic and he turned to Jesus in faith. And Philip baptized him. And then then later on we read that Philip was sitting in this chariot with an Ethiopian eunuch and he was explaining the gospel to him and the eunuch trusted in Jesus and they happened to come upon some water and the eunuch already in his elementary faith understood very clearly the importance of baptism and so he says, here is water, what prevents me from being baptized? And the eunuch commanded the chariot to stop and Philip and the eunuch both went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When the Christian killer named Saul was confronted by the resurrected Jesus on the road to Damascus, Jesus blinded him. And after three days of blindness, without food or drink, Saul trusted in Jesus. He was healed from his blindness, and immediately Saul was baptized. Later, in Acts 10, the Holy Spirit comes to the Gentiles, the non-Jews, and he comes with great power. And the Gentiles hear the gospel, and Peter commands them to be baptized, and they're baptized. In Acts 16, the the former Christian killer, Saul, now named Paul, is preaching the good news at this river outside of Philippi, and a woman named Lydia hears him, and she trusts in Jesus, and Paul baptizes her. The suicidal jailer in Philippi, in Acts 16, trusted in Jesus, and Paul baptized him that night. Paul baptized the new Christians in Corinth. He baptized the Christians in Ephesus, and this was the same pattern for everybody who trusted in Jesus. Since the beginning of the Christian church, baptism has been so closely connected to coming to faith in Christ that some people have mistakenly thought that baptism is something we should do, we must do, to be saved. <clears throat> for example, here in Acts 2.38, Peter links them so closely that he says, Repent and be baptized for the forgive every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. But Peter is not saying that somehow baptism saves a person. Use Scripture to interpret Scripture, right? Use the rest of God's revealed Word to to interpret this passage and look at it in context. Peter and Paul and Jesus and all of Scripture is crystal clear that a person can be saved only through faith in Jesus' work for us and not by any works of our own. And so here in verse 38, Peter is telling the crowd to turn away from their sins and to turn to Jesus, who will forgive them from their sins. And he commands them to be baptized because Jesus commanded all his followers to be baptized. And Jesus ordained baptism as an outward symbol of the inward new life that God has given them. Now, now through the centuries, a uh, perspective has developed that repentance and faith in Jesus no longer needs to be followed by baptism. Whatever the reasons are for that perspective, it is not a biblical perspective. That was certainly not the perspective of Jesus and the apostles. I've heard many people say, I'm a Christian, but I I don't feel called yet to be baptized. And we have to understand here, and I think that's a matter of discipleship, because we have to understand that Jesus didn't call anybody to be baptized. He commanded them to be baptized. That's what it means that Jesus is Lord. It means I'm not Lord. I don't call the shots. It means he, he does. And so I'm following him. I'm doing what he tells me to do. He's the teacher, I'm the student. It's, that would be like saying, I trust in Jesus, but I don't feel called to partake in the Lord's Supper. I don't feel called to celebrate the body of Jesus broken for my sin and the blood of Jesus shed to wash away my sin and give me new life, even though Jesus commanded us to do that. Some branches of Christianity say what really matters is that a person is spiritually baptized into Jesus, and since that's what's most important, then physical baptism is actually no longer really significant. Of course you need to be spiritually baptized into Jesus. That's what happens when you trust in Jesus. He unites you to himself, he baptizes you into his own death and resurrection. But it makes no sense that the spiritual baptism makes physical baptism insignificant. In, 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 in fact, it works the other way spiritual baptism is what gives physical baptism its significance. That's why Jesus commands Christians to be physically baptized so that there is an outward symbol or seal of the inward baptism into Jesus that we're trusting in. There are even self-proclaimed Christian groups that actually tell people not to get baptized, don't get baptized, because these groups don't want to mistakenly teach anyone that baptism saves a person. But that is bad teaching. Essentially, you're telling new Christians Now don't actually do anything Jesus commanded you to do because we don't want you to think those things could save you. That's what you're telling people. Of course you do not get baptized to earn eternal salvation for yourself. That's the heart of the gospel. But Jesus tells us to make disciples, not mere converts. Hear that? He tells us to make disciples, not mere converts, and disciples are Christians who have trusted in Jesus for salvation and who are seeking to follow and obey Jesus' commands while they rest their souls in the gospel of grace. That's what a disciple is. Christians choose to be baptized because they want to follow and obey Jesus. You will not find a responsible, orthodox interpretation of Scripture that downplays the importance of physical baptism. If anything, the debate among Christians has been about the appropriate time and method and meaning of baptism. So yes, there are false teachers who who teach that baptism baptism is not important or that you should not get baptized. There are false teachers who wrongly teach that baptism is so important that you must be baptized if you want to go to heaven. But that's not what the Bible teaches. And you cannot allow bad Bible teaching to stop you from obeying Jesus. God commands baptism, not for your salvation, but for your sanctification. Baptism baptism is a gift from God. It's a visual depiction of the gospel. It's a depiction of your new birth by the Holy Spirit. When God pierces your heart with the message of his love for you, a sinner, and when you repent and turn to Jesus in faith, and when you're submerged underwater, God and his church and the heavenly host, it says in the New Testament, are celebrating with you the greatness of God and the greatness of his grace and power in your life. You're buried in the water to represent the reality that Jesus has buried you and your sin in his death. And you're raised up out of the water to represent that through faith in Jesus, God has justified you in His sight. He's resurrected you to new life in Christ. What a gift. What a gift of grace God commands us to celebrate. Wow. Now, if you trusted in Jesus a long time ago, but you were never baptized, it's not too late. Jesus still, His command hasn't changed And I just tell you this, I really want you to pray about this today. I want you to think about this. I don't want you to take another week and pray about this and see if you're called. What I'm telling you is you're commanded. Come talk to me after the service. If you trust in Jesus, we'll baptize you today. We don't have the baptism filled, but I'll tell you what, I came in this morning dead set. If God's will is for us to baptize somebody today, we're going to baptize somebody today. We'll get, we'll get a hot tub. We'll get a bathtub. I don't care. We'll baptize you. Don't put it off. Today is the day to repent and be baptized. <clears throat> Notice here in verse 38 that Peter says, if you repent and are baptized, now think about who he's talking about, who he's talking to here. If you repent and are baptized in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of your sins, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. This is incredible. Think of this. Jesus is offering to give his Holy Spirit to the very ones who crucified him. (laughs) Peter is saying that the way to be saved from the wrath of God, Jesus, who you murdered, is by submitting to Jesus, trusting him as your Savior, and he will forgive you and bless you and give you his own Holy Spirit to live inside of you to serve and minister to you forever. Wow, that is mercy. What a merciful Lord and Savior Jesus is. Thank you, God, for loving us. And to be crystal clear, receiving the Holy Spirit does not happen when you are physically baptized, okay? There's nothing magical about the water. The Holy Spirit is working on you and in you before you ever trust in him. He's the one who grants you repentance and faith to believe the gospel. And as you respond to that gospel message in faith, the Holy Spirit indwells you. So through baptism, you declare that the Holy Spirit already lives in you because you trust in Jesus. Then in Acts 2, 39 to 40, let's keep going. Peter continued to tell the crowd, for the promise is for you and for your children, and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourselves from this crooked generation. So we praise God that God's eternal promises uh, for eternal forgiveness and life in Christ, that, that those promises weren't just for that crowd that day. But this is a promise for all generations, for all people, of all people groups around the world. There is salvation for everyone whom the, it says here, whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And it says that Peter continued to preach to the crowd with many words. And in his preaching, we see that he did two main things. First, he bore witness about Jesus, showing the crowd that Jesus is Lord and the Messiah. And second, he, he, it says he also exhorted them which means he was urging them to do something. And specifically it says Peter was urging them to save themselves from this crooked generation. Even though the world around us thinks it's so smart and has everything figured out, even though it thinks it does not need godliness or God, the reality is that it is sadly blinded by Satan and in great danger. I talked to a non-Christian recently we were just talking about God and talking about the Bible, and he wanted to know why I trust the Bible. And and, uh, he's trying to argue that because humanity has progressed so much over 2,000 years, (coughs) that we are wiser than the writers of Scripture. And I said, if you're wiser than the writers of Scripture, why are you struggling with the sin you're telling me about that people were were doing 4,000 years ago? before the new testament was written i mean seriously i mean it's a lie of satan we have technology we have all that's not who that does not make people wiser that does not change our sin condition we're wrestling with the same exact stuff that you read about in genesis 1 and 2 and 3 right um Peter urges the crowd, and the same thing that this crowd here in, the, uh, in Jerusalem was wrestling with that day. Peter urges the crowd to repent. He says, don't go, around, don't go down that road that's going to destroy you. I want you to turn away from Satan and the world. Turn to Jesus. Listen to this. The, I read this quote by a Puritan named Thomas Watson this week. He said this, many are now in hell that purposed to repent. Many people are now in hell that told themselves, I'll repent, I'll get around to it. I'll follow Jesus later. I'll stop living a life of sin later. But for now, I want to fit in. I want to fit in with the crowd. I want to eat, drink, and be merry. If we could hear the voices of those in hell right now, they would be telling us, turn to Jesus while you still have a chance. That's reality. Today is the day of salvation. Today is the day of mercy. Acts 241 says, "'And so, those who received this word were baptized. And there were added that day about 3,000 souls. So not, not all of the people in that crowd believed and received the gospel, but Luke reports that 3,000 of them did repent and trust in Jesus, and, and then those who received his word, it says, were what? Baptized. They were baptized. And in Jerusalem, I read this week, there were baptismals all over the place that the Jews used for their own purification ceremonies. And it's very possible that that's what they used to baptize thousands of of Christians. And we we don't know exactly how many Christians there were in Judea before that, um, but it's pretty safe to say that on this day alone, the church tripled in size, okay? They went from being a church of several hundred to be in a church of several thousand overnight. When the Holy Spirit does this, when he moves in power to stir the hearts of people, to give faith to many unbelievers at the same time, we call that revival. And we humans cannot manufacture revival. It doesn't matter how many lights and sounds and special effects we use, if the Holy Spirit is not moving in power, there will be and can be no revival. And so... That means we don't trust in our building, we don't trust in our own skills, we don't trust in our own human resources to wow people into the kingdom of God. We trust in the Holy Spirit to do what he did here. We trust him to wield the spirit of his gospel to pierce souls and to make them born again. And we pray and ask him to do that. we we plead with the Holy Spirit to do this again. We ask the Holy Spirit to bring revival to our families, and our neighborhoods, and our schools, and our cities, and our state, and our country, and our world. We ask the Holy Spirit to show sinners like us the glory of God in Jesus Christ, and Lord, enable them to respond in faith to your good news. We ask the Holy Spirit to continue to convict each one of us of our sin so that we will see the sin in our own lives so that we'll feel sorrow for it. So we'll confess it to God and embrace his forgiveness and resolve to turn away from it and to turn to Jesus. Think about this, think about this you guys, what if 3,000 people came to Christ today in our church? Think it just, yeah, I like that. 300 to 3,000. We do not want to multiply disciples and baptize many new Christians because we want to be the biggest church in town or because we want to appear successful by the world's standards. We want to multiply disciples as quickly as possible. We want to baptize many new Christians because we want to see human lives and eternities transformed by Jesus for the glory of God in our town and throughout the world. That's why we want to see it happen. And if it happens at Kameno Chapel, praise God, right? We want to grow the kingdom, and we want to be part of that. And by God's grace, he's working through us here. So we've got to keep our eyes on him, repent from our sin, and be baptized. Let's pray for that now. Dear Lord Jesus, we, we thank you for your message today in this word, and this is, this is in your face, hard-hitting stuff, Holy Spirit, and, uh, and we need this sometimes. Lord, and we thank you, we just thank you for your mercy uh, that you would offer this sort of uh, incredible salvation to the human race who has rejected you and turned its back on you. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would work in our own hearts today, convict us of our sin, help us confess it receive forgiveness in the gospel and and celebrate you and worship you and glorify you for that. God, we pray that you would wield your gospel message and change hearts with it. That you would change the hearts of our coworkers and our family and our friends in our neighborhood, our town, God, that uh, you would turn people around from the path of sin to the path of Jesus. Give us courage and wisdom, God, to share that message with love at the appropriate time, God, with people. God, I pray uh, that you would grant courage to those who feel convicted to be baptized but maybe are scared by it, and that's normal. Lord, help us just uh, obey you and help us to remember, God, that uh, because you obeyed for us, we have salvation. That is where our salvation lies and we trust in you for that. Thank you for being so good to us and for the offer of salvation to us. May we glorify you now through song. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.